Did you know that children are more susceptible to frostbite than adults? Well, they are. And here to tell us more is Dr. Timothy O'Connor, a pediatric emergency specialist at La Bonner Children's Hospital. He will explain why and give tips on how to protect your child this winter. This is the Peds Pod by La Bonner Children's Hospital. I'm Bill Klaproth. Dr. O'Connor, thanks for your time. So exactly what is frostbite? Oh, Bill, uh, frostbite is basically it's freezing of the tissues um, that results when we're exposed to extreme cold and our natural defenses are kind of overcome. So this is when our skin actually freezes. Exactly. So we hear this term frost nip. What is the difference between frost bite and frost nip? Well, frost nip is just the mildest form of frost bite. So frost bite, they grade it one through four from superficial injury to deep injury. Um, and frost nip is just the mildest form, basically. So frost nip is the mildest form. Does that mean frost bite is the most severe? Well, frost bite can be, you know, mild, moderate, or severe. When it's when it's when it's the mild form, it's it, you can say, you know, grade one frost bite, or you can say frost nip. They mean the same thing. Um, once you start having a blistering of the tissues um, or other severe signs, then then you're into higher levels of frostbite. So let's talk about you know what causes frostbite. That may sound like a simple question. Well, it's cold out. You're going to get frostbite. But is that when our body can't keep up with the cold and our body can't keep our skin from freezing? Well, it's correct. And, and so it obviously depends upon the severity of the cold. Even things like wind can make the cold more dangerous. You've heard the you know, wind chill issue. Um, and then, of course, how well we're prepared for it. You know, So if you're not appropriately clothed or not in appropriate shelter, then you're obviously at greater risk for frostbite. So exposed flesh, when it's exposed and the, the, the conditions are extreme enough, that's when your skin can freeze. Correct. And so as a result, like the most common places that get frostbite are the feet, the hands, the nose, the cheeks, and the ears. And the feet, even though the feet are not exposed, they're in contact with the cold ground. <laughs> and so they tend to get colder. Right. And they're the farthest away from your core body, which makes them more susceptible. So how do you prevent frostbite? I know that sounds like a silly question. Well, wear hats and gloves, but there's more to it than that, right? There is. So, um, you know, the first decision is, should I even go outside? And, you know, luckily in the in this area here in Memphis, we don't tend to have really severe cold. So it's rare that we have, you know, have to make that decision. But certainly if you live somewhere where, you know, you're having temperatures below zero degrees Fahrenheit, that's a very legitimate question. Should I even be going outside at right. all? Okay. And then it's also just a matter of how long are you going to be outside? So, you know, if you're, if you're walking down to the mailbox and back, probably, you know, you're, you're pretty <laughs> right. good. Uh, but if you're, you know, if you're going to be, uh, you know, out in the, 
in the weather for quite a while, um, you know, the risk goes up as well. Sure. If you're working outside, that makes sense. I do want to say, uh, you mentioned wearing hats and gloves and, you know, just keeping the core body warm is our body's priority. So we want to keep our core body temperature up and our body naturally will, that will take precedence over preventing frostbite. And so um, when the weather's really cold, our body naturally will um, send warm blood to the extremities when we're not at risk for hypothermia, you know, when we're not at risk for our core body. Um, And so intermittently, you know, our blood vessels will stay constricted for the most part, but intermittently they'll dilate so that warm blood will go out and keep them from freezing. But when we're at risk for our core body temperature dropping, our body stops doing that, stops sending the warm blood out to the extremities because keeping the core body temperature up is more important. Um, so when you Got get, it. when you're really cold for a long time, you, you lose that protective mechanism. Mm-hmm. So when your core body temperature drops, you're more at risk for frostbite. Correct. But you can get frostbite without getting hypothermia and vice versa. So yeah, you, they don't have to go together. So let's talk about children now. What puts children more at risk for frostbite? Well, there are a few things. Uh, Certainly small children can't make the important decisions about what do I wear? Should I be going outside? (laughs) That sort of thing. Right. And so that puts them at increased risk. But also children just have more body surface area per body mass than an adult does. And so they have more surface exposed to the elements. And so that puts them at increased risk. Dr. O'Connor, could you explain that again? Wouldn't an adult have more surface area? No, when I'm looking, you're looking at a ratio of body surface area to body mass. And it's that, it's that ratio that is greater in children. Okay, now I got it. Thank you. So at what point is frostbite diagnosed? First of all, there has to be the history of exposure to freezing temperatures. You don't get frostbite at temperatures above freezing. Um, So you have to have exposure. Uh, And then the milder cases, the skin may just look really pale or a pale yellow color. Um, And then after it's rewarmed, it'll get really red, uh, which is kind of a normal Mm -hmm. body's normal response. Um, And then in the more severe forms, like, the the next level up, you'll get blistering of the skin, and the, the blisters can be filled with clear or milky colored fluid. And then even more severe frostbite, they'll get blisters with more purplish, like bloody looking fluid in them. So when you see when you see that kind of blistering, you definitely need to seek medical attention. Yeah, that makes sense. So can frostbite be treated at home? first? You know, the mildest cases where you're not really having any uh, blistering of any kind, uh, you know, and you know that you're not going to be exposed to freezing temperatures again um, anytime soon, then yes, you know, heating the um, extremity like in just warm water, you know, the foot, the hand or whatever in warm water to warm it back up is certainly appropriate. And doesn't necessarily need to see a physician unless there's skin changes 
Okay. They go along with it. Gotcha. All right. So speaking of seeing a physician then, how is frostbite treated in a clinical setting? There's a lot of similarities to how a burn looks, for instance. You know, they, it can look very similar to a burn, but the, um, the treatment is daily warm baths to improve circulation. And frostbite also causes a bunch uh, of inflammatory changes to occur. So there's anti-inflammatories are given as well. And then when it comes to, you know, you can actually lose fingers and toes and that sort of stuff from severe frostbite, but it's recommended to wait quite a long time before making that decision because sometimes there's tissue that looks like it's dead which will actually survive okay if given enough time so they don't recommend early surgical intervention it's more of a kind of wait and watch type of a situation until it's very clear what tissue is going to survive and what's not going to survive So earlier, you said watch for changes in the color of the skin. What are some of the other signs of frostbite? During the actual exposure, a lot of times the the area in question will just go numb. Like you just, you can't feel anything. Um, uh, And then once you're in a situation where it can be rewarmed, a lot of times it's can be very itchy or very painful during the rewarming process. And that's probably a sign that there has been, you know, at least some mild frostbite that has occurred. I do want to say that it's really important that you never rewarm something that's frostbitten if you're at risk for it freezing again. It's more dangerous to rewarm it than, than freeze again. And so if if it's your like if your feet are already frozen and you're out in the wilderness, it's not a good idea to warm it by the bonfire if you know you have a two day hike out yet and you may have more refreezing ahead of you. It's better to let it stay frozen than it is to rewarm it and let it freeze again. Okay. Really good point and something for us to remember. So then you just mentioned Somebody can lose a finger or a toe or amputation. I mean, how severe can untreated frostbite become? You know, it can be quite severe, um, but most of the time, this is not something we see a lot of in children. It's mostly adults who either are exposed to the elements because of homelessness coupled with drug or alcohol abuse, or endurance athletes or mountain climbers who really get exposed to the really severe cold who are at greatest risk. So getting back to children, Dr. O'Connor, if you fear your child has frostbite, when should you contact your pediatrician? So if your child has been exposed to freezing temperatures and if whatever part was exposed Um, is having some visible changes in their skin, then they should call their doctor. I know you touched on this briefly before, but I'm sure there's a lot of confusion. Is frostbite related to hypothermia in any way? Could you talk just a little bit more about that? Well, yes and no. (laughs) So (laughs) they're both obviously due to exposure to the cold, but you can become hypothermic being exposed to temperatures well above freezing. 
And so even if, especially if you're in a cold, wet environment, you know, for instance, if you're in uh, a lake holding on to the underside of your overturned boat, or even if you're just being rained on and you're out in the, the wilderness without any shelter. And again, children are increased risk for reasons we talked about before. And our bodies can shiver, but they can only shiver for about three or four hours until they run out of the energy to shiver anymore. So unless you have enough food as well, if you're stoking the furnace with food, you can probably shiver even longer. But if you're in a situation where you don't have food and you don't, you know, and you're really cold, you'll only shiver for so long. And in addition to that, little babies can't even shiver. They they generate heat a completely different way. So that's really important for parents to be mindful of that as well. Dr. O'Connor, this has been really informative. Thank you for your time today. You're welcome, Bill. I appreciate you having me. That's Dr. Timothy O'Connor, a pediatric emergency specialist at Labonner Children's Hospital. And to learn more, visit labonner.org slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the Peds Pod and Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also check out labonner.org slash podcast to view the full podcast library. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels. This is the Peds Pod by Labonner Children's Hospital. Thanks for listening. <laughs>